So it's been a while since we've talked about documentaries here on the podcast. And uh, if you've been listening to the show, you know that uh, when I started my career, I came up doing a lot of documentary work back in Boston. I used to work a lot. I would either shoot documentaries on bands or I spent uh, a big portion of my early career uh, acting as a cinematographer for director Rudy Hippolyte. And uh, together we spent years uh, doing documentaries for Harvard and uh, a bunch of his own feature-length documentaries. And I've learned so much about myself doing docs, and I've learned so much about my voice as a filmmaker doing docs, Uh, not to mention any sort of technical stuff. I've learned a boatload about lighting, uh, my fascination with different faces and how to light different faces and how to light interviews. Um, but uh, I've also got the skills to do what you listen to every week here on the show. How do you communicate with strangers? How do you get folks to trust you? How do you genuinely listen to a conversation? We've talked about this a bunch. How do you check your ego before you get started? It's all tough stuff. And there's so much to learn as storytellers. There's so many techniques out there. There are so many factors that are required to make a solid film, to make a great piece, to shoot an amazing photograph, to make a fantastic meal. I try to celebrate all of these things continuously. And one of the things that I like, the side effect I like about doing this show is that it's constantly reminding me to examine how it is that I'm doing it right now, today. And there's just so much to remember. Oftentimes I'll forget and I'll go, oh my God, I'm supposed to be doing this at the same time or I haven't thought about this and I got to do that too. So hopefully you guys get reminded with me. You're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. Hi. Welcome. Come on in. Have a seat. My guest today is a documentarian. Uh, Someone that was introduced to me from our friends over at Fujifilm, which makes this one of our episodes, one of our Fujifilm creative... I'm sorry, let me start that again. One of our Fujifilm creator series episodes of In Love With The Process. And today... We're going in a different direction. Like I said, we're jumping back into the world of documentaries. There's a lot to talk about on today's episode. I keep coming back to the process of making documentaries. What is your process? What are your morals as a filmmaker when you're making these? What are your ethics? Like uh, the ethics of journalism. Are you being manipulative with your storytelling? Um, Is there a difference between a documentary and reality TV. Is there a difference between a documentary and branded content? Because all three of those use the same techniques, but for different means. We discuss a little bit about that today with today's guest, but we also talk about the pure joy, the ability to go off the grid, the ability to disappear into some other world and become a part of that world, to become affected by your subjects to disappear into a story. That's what being a documentarian allows you to do. Let's not sugarcoat it. It's a tough life to be a documentarian. It's tough to make money. 
It's a tough place to get the recognition that you need. And then oftentimes in order to be successful and to make decent cash, you have to come face to face with your ethics. You have to come face to face with your, your morality, your rules that you've set for yourself as a storyteller. Because the stuff that sells bends those a lot. And oftentimes we're taking pure stories and cramming them into a formula for cash. It's fascinating how much money can, how much we need cash, how much we need great support, uncorruptible support in order to make fantastic art. And uh, as we do this film series from Fujifilm, you'll genuinely hear our guests talk about their experience, how they were introduced to Fujifilm and the support they've got from this company. And yes, they're a sponsor of the show. Yes, it's, it behooves me to shed a very good light on them for being a sponsor on the show, but that's not why I'm doing it. I've been very honest with you guys since the beginning of this podcast that I specifically hunt out um, sponsors because I either use their equipment and I, or I like what they're doing. I like them as individuals. Very quickly, if you're someone that is looking for sponsorship, if you're someone that is out there uh, meeting these companies, you start to be able to figure out what their motives actually are. And there are very few companies out there that are genuinely curious about how people use their equipment and their gear or their products and genuinely want to support the arts. And I feel like Fujifilm is a big company for that. I feel like all of the companies that we have on the show for sponsors do that. So I just want to be upfront with you. But like I said, Fuji introduced me, Fujifilm introduced me to today's guest. She's a documentary filmmaker uh, out of uh, Brooklyn, New York. So she's over in New York. We do our interview. I've already recorded it. It's a great interview. We do our interview over the internet. Um, there's a little bit of lag here and there, but I'll probably be able to clean it all up in post-production. I don't even know why I need to let you in on that. See how honest and open I am about this stuff? Probably to a detriment. Um, but uh, I really got along with her. Uh, I enjoy what she does. I enjoy her films. I enjoy her passion for making documentary films. Anna Anderson joins us on today's show. Uh, definitely check out uh, the links that I have in the description of this episode. I will link up her website. I will link up her work or go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and check out the supplemental page as you're listening to today's show. Um, and um, you'll be able to see her beautiful documentaries and trailers for those docs or her short docs. All that stuff will be there. It's helpful when you hear us talk about stuff when you can actually envision the work. Oftentimes when I'm doing these interviews, I'll have the work open in front of me. So that way when a subject is talking about it, when she starts to discuss uh, her uh, film with a, a guy who uh, corrals and raises reindeer, it's helpful to actually see the imagery because it's gorgeous. But before we get to it, I just want to thank everybody for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy or following the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D. Now, I'm recording all of these episodes around the same time and we're going to texture them out. 
I think this episode comes out before the end of our Fuji film contest. That's right. I am giving away, or I already did give away. I don't think, let's pretend like it hasn't gone out yet, okay? I'm giving away a camera from Fujifilm. Uh, if you want to win this camera, uh, we are doing this contest through the month of November 2022 for you future listeners. Uh, and if you want to win a free Fujifilm X-H2S camera and an 18 to 120 millimeter zoom lens, um, all you have to do is go to my Instagram page at Mike Petchy or the uh, In Love With The Process pod Instagram page see my pinned post for this contest um, and in the description of that post all of the details will be there so you can reread these rules uh, you just have to list your three favorite episodes the best episodes in your opinion of In Love With The Process and then describe to us why you need this camera what are you going to do with it what are you going to shoot are you a photographer are you a filmmaker are you going to do your first movie Tell us your story and make it a good one. Post that under the description and uh, you will be entered in the contest. Now, if you want better chances of winning, if you want to be at the front of the line, I will be telling you different tricks and techniques that will help you get a better chance at winning. Okay? Um, and I'll do so in the ad reads of today's show. All right. So that being said, let's not delay it any further. You're wearing your noise canceling headphones now. Make sure they're cranked up to 11. You might want to take some notes. Um, if you're a storyteller, if you want to be a documentarian, today's a great episode for you because there's a lot of really good little nuggets in this conversation that you will learn something from. So you know the deal. Strap in. Get ready, sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process.
Anna, thanks for being on the show. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you, Mike, for having me. This is very exciting. <laughs> is this your first podcast? It is. It is my first podcast. Um, so this is all very new. <laughs> and, you know, just not doing it on Zoom is also cool. It's kind of a new take, which is great. Yeah, yeah. We're using this. Uh, I'm not going to say who they are because they piss me off every once in a while. But we're using this website that records it a little bit differently. <laughs> Um, and I've always said that uh, I, I, I refuse to do video because I feel like when we're doing video, whenever I do a Zoom call, I feel like I'm spending most of the time looking at myself and I'm not paying attention to the other person. So, audio only. Yes, I totally agree. That's why I, I really like this, actually. This is so much nicer to not be like staring at myself and being like, is that hair looking good? Is that all right there? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. We're so obsessed with our physical appearance. That I hate it. I hate taking meetings and doing film pitches where I could see myself. I'm like just trying to close the window. And if I can, I'm taping things over it because I'm looking at myself the whole time. It's just a weird thing to be pitching to yourself. It's very strange. I know. It's so weird. Well, we all do it. <laughs> so where where are you at? Where am I? Where are we? Where are you living these days? So I'm in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn, New York. Oh, nice. We're talking across the country. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Oh, where are you? Uh, Glendale, Los Angeles. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. All the way across. Going all the way. Yeah. That's um. That's fun. I, I've been out to LA a few times. It's it's beautiful. It's of course. Very, very nice. Of course. Um, if it's not burning to the ground. All, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like living on the edge. It's pretty fun, you know? Yeah. What's, what's the next? Yeah. You on your toes. <laughs> well, I'm excited to have you on the show. Uh, I'm excited to talk about your work. I'm excited to talk about uh, your career as a documentarian. Is that primarily what you're doing these days, is documentary work? Yeah. So it's a lot of documentary, but also branded documentary. And then I, you know, dabble in commercial sometimes when, you know, the price is right. So, mm -hmm, uh, but mm -hmm. my main focus and my heart and soul is really in documentary work. Well, why? What, what, what got you into docs? Why did you decide that that was the platform for you? So it sort of happened in a very non-uniform way. I didn't go to film school. I kind of fell into it once I came to New York. Mm -hmm. I was uh, doing a lot of photography, actually. I was thinking that was probably the route I was going to go. Um, just as a way to get stories out and tell stories that aren't particularly pushed to the forefront. Mm -hmm. And always been super focused on women-centric storytelling and I grew up in the middle of nowhere Wisconsin with a single mother and and a sister and it's I've always just been really impacted by powerful women like making it happen and making it work kind mm -hmm. of against all odds so I've just always been kind of in fascination and in awe with the way women are presented in media, the way we're talked about, um, even in our own circles and, you know, in, in film, especially in a lot of narrative film, there aren't really complex female characters. <laughs> um, so kind of growing up with that and not even knowing that you could be a director or like be in this world and make a real living doing it. Um, I 
never wanted to go into narrative, but I, I always thought that was very interesting. And I wanted to work with real people. And I often find that real life is often a lot more wild than you could ever think of or come up with in a script. <laughs> very true. So, <laughs> it's very true. So I wanted to discover that and meet people who are doing really adventurous things and different things and um, kind of putting a new spin and perspective, especially on what it's like to move through the world as, as a female artist or as a, you know, I mean, there's so many different intersections, but um, yeah. So that's, that's sort of what drew me to it was just fascination with people and fascination with um, women kind of making it happen against the odds. So uh, raised by a single mom. So she must have been a, a very huge force in your life as far as inspiration is concerned, right? Yes. Yeah. She, she really made it work, which was, I mean, we didn't grow up with much and we lived on a farm and grew most of our own food, but like the way she was able to kind of position me into seeing the world was really impactful and just her motivation to try to get us into a good school. Like I went to Montessori as a kid, which I knew was like, mm-hmm. you know, it was a big, big deal for mm-hmm. her to get us in. And it sort of opened up a whole new way of thinking and, you know, curiosity about learning and um, just wanting to explore the world and kind of understand things and take them apart, put them back together in this sort of unconventional way. Mm. Um and I think having a lot of freedom also as a kid and especially like educational aspect stuck with me and has come really forward in the work I do now. Like just curiosity is such an important part of what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's curiosity is such a important part of storytelling in general with everything. I, I, I think that mm-hmm. at least same with me, like there there are moments where I'm just curious about a certain emotion and why we feel a specific emotion. I'm curious about motivations for folks. Uh, all those things really draw me into storytelling too. Um, and I, I, I was lucky because I was, yeah. I had that curiosity sort of nursed when I was growing up by my parents and they sort of celebrated and uh, nursed imagination and art. Uh, was it the same way with you? Mm. Yeah, I I mean, you know, typical things like making little home videos, playing dress up, making, you know, various theater, quote unquote, shows. Um, But I was also involved in a lot of like dance and piano and just exploring and like trying to touch all these different creative worlds and see what what stuck. (laughs) I wish I stuck with piano. to (laughs) That one I shouldn't have let go. Um, But I do feel like, (laughs) I do feel like there was a really, a big push um, to just allow creative exploration and to embrace that like really innocent curiosity, you know, and and push that out. Just like you said, that like fostering of imagination uh, is so important. And I feel like I was very fortunate enough to have that. And so it started with uh, with photography for you. You were just trying to capture these moments. It started with photography. I um, actually had this old Polaroid camera my mom had, um, which is kind of where it all started. And just finding these little moments in time 
and just like also using it as like a, a memory bank. Mm. Um, it was, it was just so great to be able to kind of catalog all these separate moments. Um, and just these times you just, you don't get back. So it started more along those lines of sort of just wanting to remember. And then, you know, I was kind of curious with movement and making it more dimensional and mm. 3d instead of 2d. And mm-hmm. so I slowly started exploring film when I came to New York and, I was just lucky to meet the right people who wanted to help me get on set. Because <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't go to school for any of this. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of like YouTube University, which sure. is pretty great. Yeah, yeah, um, nothing wrong with that. Big fan. Oh, it's wonderful. It's great. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like I was just you know right place, right time, and and you know people were very supportive of you know allowing me to explore and. Yeah continue being curious that's cool that's very cool was there a um a specific uh event or sort of subject that that uh, really sort of piqued your curiosity and drove you to want to film it is there something that really like that like a seismic event that sort of shifted everything for you um well my mom actually came out to me when i was in my early twenties. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So that was pretty big. Um, and then my first film I ever made was on a lesbian separatist community in the deep South. So that was sort of the moment where I was like, Oh, I wonder what their history is like. I wonder what it was like. I wonder why she hid it for so long. And, you know, I'm so grateful that she opened up and, felt comfortable to tell me because that's a huge, yeah. it's a huge thing. Um, so, I mean, it brought us even closer and I have so much respect and reverence for her and um, how she's lived her life and where she is now. But yeah, that was sort of the big moment. And then um, just trying to understand and yeah. figure it out and explore also through film and getting to, know these incredible women and their stories and the history and um the honor of sitting behind the camera and receiving yeah uh, was so incredible so yeah that was kind of that was kind of the moment and um yeah that's just put me on my path yeah documentaries is such a it's an interesting path to take because unlike narrative filmmaking you're doing pieces on real people and the characters that exist uh, in your pieces and on your in your films are actual individuals, and so there's this immersion that happens. I've done a, quite a few documentaries myself, and there's this immersion that happens where you start to sort of blend and become part of the story, whether or not you want to or not, and you yeah. sort of get mixed into it. And then the effect that it has on you is, and the effect that documentaries had on me was incredibly powerful. So it's like it's an incredibly immersive storytelling experience because you get sucked into the story, right? Absolutely. Yeah, completely. Yeah. yeah. And I also love that aspect about it. You know, it's not just like, okay, thank you. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so much more. And, you know, a lot of the people I've had the opportunity of collaborating with, you know, I'm still 
friends with them. You're still part of their lives. You, you, you hear really raw and emotional, intimate parts of their story that maybe they haven't even shared with their closest friends or family. Yeah. So you don't just get to say like, Oh, that was great. Thanks. Like, see you later. Um, <laughs> you're, you're forever tied, you know? And, and that's, what's also so special is you get to be a part of so many communities that honestly people might never even think of. Mm. Um, and, and that's also what's so fascinating and, exciting about the work is that you get a peek behind the curtain into places you could never even imagine and meet people that you didn't even know existed. And then you're part of their lives forever. So it's such a unique job. (laughs) It is. It's wild. It's wild. I spent my first, I would say my first 10 years of my career as a filmmaker, and I was doing a lot of cinematography work at that time, I spent uh, years and years doing um, documentaries when I lived back in Boston for Harvard. And so we used to mm. do stuff for Harvard's alumni department, which essentially was like, hey, let's make really sexy looking films for <laughs> the people that are donating money to us to show them where their money's going. And at the end of the day, it was interesting because I got to see some of the most cutting edge stuff, like whether it's stem cell research or whether it's um, you know, any of the other scientific endeavors that they were doing. And, uh, as soon as you get invited in as a documentarian, people open up every door of their lives to you, every door of their research facilities to you. And I remember, like, I think at one point I just took it for granted because I was just able to walk into every building <laughs> in the city yeah. of Cambridge, you know, and just sort of like, oh, what's in this room? And open up a door and, and just be immersed in some stranger's place. Yeah. Uh, it's like a life pass into yeah. any door you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a doc on um, on the uh, street gangs uh, in Boston. There was 120 gangs at one point and. And uh, we got to go through what would be "quote unquote" really rough neighborhoods, and uh, I, re- I really had a pass. I had chaperones and stuff, but I had a pass to, in- to really learn about a whole other world and how inclusive that world is actually, and how uh, what a giant family a lot of these, you know, supposedly dangerous places have. And it was yeah. a life changing experience for me. And I was very fortunate to have that through the art of being a documentarian and just looking at the films that you've done. I mean, I'm fascinated with that piece that you did on the uh, reindeer herder. That must've been fun. Oh, to go yeah. shoot. <laughs> that was amazing. That was great. Um, reindeer are kind of like big dogs with yeah. antlers. They're very cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was, wow. I mean, I sort of stumbled into that one. I was just going to take myself on a birthday trip to go see the Northern Lights. Mm. And then I decided I wanted to go to a reindeer farm and I reached out to Trump's Arctic reindeer and asked if I could do a video on them for the day in exchange for, you know, just coming and spending the day with them. They agreed. And it was an absolutely incredible day getting to meet the founder, Johan Isak, mm-hmm. and then two of the incredible um, workers who are also Sami, um, Anali and Nilas, who I'm still in contact with today and actually working on another larger form project <laughs> with them. Because um, you just, 
the funny thing about doc is like maybe it's shelved for you know a year or two but some if something's like you know just saying hi in the back of your head for a long time. You, you keep developing it. Ideas kind of come to you in the middle of the night. You write them down mm-hmm. and then it just grows. And sometimes you find the right, you know, partners to join you in it. Um, and yeah, so that, that's just started on a whim and has sort of taken off into this new project. Even oh, really? from really. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, um, Another idea around um, a film around Anna Lee, who mm-hmm. is incredible. I mean, the way she she talks about her heritage and sort of understanding who we are and where we come from, and finding our way back to our hearts. Mm-hmm. She's just she's so brilliant, um, and she is a um, psychologist in in Norway, up in Tromsø, oh. but she's also a, a, a shaman. Her family lineage has passed down these incredible gifts, and she's she's kind of taking both on the Western practice as well as like her traditional practice uh, passed down from her female ancestors. Wild, so, wild. Oh. Know, she's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're we're looking at the film through the lens of this musical practice that's done by the Sami called Yoik. Um, and the idea around it is that, you know, we take things in Western culture, even like documentary filmmaking, right? It can be a taking. But what this is, it's it's turning that idea on its head. It's removing the ego, it's removing the self, and it's and it's a giving. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. So the definition of, of yoik is that it's this multi-dimensional thing that the person who's singing it, it's not for them, it's not their music, but instead it's it's a remembrance of a person, of a place, of you know, a reindeer, or um, it can be anything really, but but what it does is it it makes you immortal. It it's a huh. way of passing down knowledge and and this like selflessness that's really really beautiful um so there's no definition for it in english that's why it's so hard to explain (laughs) take like a minute to explain but um i i just love the concept and so we're we're exploring that with her and um with a singer who lives in oregon um the lead singer of blind pilot i'm not sure if you're familiar but oh no um, i haven't i haven't heard of them that's interesting yeah, he he discovered his Sami roots recently, actually through yoiking, um, through the power of yoik. Um, so it's just been sort of this like magical happenstance of these two seemingly separate existences coming together through this musical practice. Very cool. And, you know, it's it's fascinating because people are always asking me, like, where do you come up with these ideas? You must have great ideas all the time. And it's really mm. just being open to ideas coming to you. And it's really, if you have something that really, that, that you're interested in, but it just doesn't work right now, it's about writing those things down and letting those things sort of gestate over time. And then the right time, the right moment sort of approaches and you just jump on it, right? Do you feel the same way? That's exactly it. I mean, sometimes you just stumble into something. I know that sounds, you know, 
yeah. weird, but I think a lot of documentarians feel that way. You like just attend an event, you meet a person, you travel and see something and you get curious about it and you start looking into it. You start conversation, you start relationships and then, you know, maybe it's not the right time, but it just sort of, it happens when it's the right time and then comes together. But I think people don't often know that these things are like years in the making and you're mm-hmm. maybe sitting on an idea for a couple of years or you're waiting for the right things to shift into place because it, it needs to all happen, you know, right, right time, right place, right people, uh, right collaborators. So yeah, hundred percent. 100%. It's a lot of things coming together. <laughs> well, yeah. And then when you finally do, right, you finally go, okay, now's the time to jump, especially with documentaries. It's, it can be, you know, I've worked on docs that have taken 10 years just to shoot. Yeah. And and then you get into yeah. the edit process. And the edit process is a lot more extensive on docs than it is on a feature film because you're, you have no script. So you're essentially trying to form a, a narrative with the footage that you have, which is fascinating, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you- exactly. It's not, it's not written out. You gotta, you have to write it. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your favorite par- process for, uh, of documentary making? Is it out there capturing it and being with the folks? Is it being in the edit room? Is there a, a part that you loathe? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, I mean, it's, first of all, I love being in very remote places in the world. That's like one of my favorite things. If I can't get any sound reception, I'm like, yes. (laughs) Why do you, why do you, why do you think that is? (laughs) Um, well, one, I like just being in extreme places like, um, the highlands of Guatemala or like up in the Arctic circle. It's just, I just feel drawn to that sort of extreme sort of place mm-hmm. um, and exploring things that are very hard to get to uh, just because I think it makes the journey even more valid and more worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, so I, I really love that aspect and, you know, I love not getting emails. That's always yeah. just kind of fun. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's something nice about turning off the world, especially the modern world where every, it seems like, Every moment that cell device is trying is nagging to get all of your attention, and and I find that yeah. I, I I just miss things. Right, you start to miss, you know, what's happening around you, especially as a storyteller. You're like, what am I telling stories about? Am I telling stories about what it's like to be on my phone all day, or am I telling stories about what's going on around me? You know, I know, and I always think like when I'm on my deathbed, you know, it's just going there. But you know, when I'm really old, what am I going to remember about my life? Am I going to remember, yeah. you know, Reddit being on Reddit for like <laughs> six hours or I am not. I going to remember like, you know, meeting with the Sami up in Norway and watching the, you know, Northern lights, obviously the second one. So I'm trying to live my life in a way that, I will feel like I didn't miss anything. Like I really put it all out there and and tried to explore and expand and keep my heart open and stay present. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I mean, the cell phone, no reception is great, but I also, (laughs) I also just love building relationships, you know, and, and getting to meet people who've had really different life experiences or very similar. You know, I, I do find that, the more you talk to people, the more you mm-hmm. can find that's in common. But I also love 
getting into the edit and finding the story. You mm. know, you can prep as much as you can. You can do as many pre-production interviews and um, just talk for hours on end. But you really are finding the story, like the heart of the story in the edit and building it together, especially if you have a lot of verite. That takes so long to go yeah. through and find the right bits. Yeah. Um, so all of that's really exciting. My, my least favorite, if I had to say, is probably all the assistant editing stuff you have to do to get it in, like all the thinking yeah. and like the medium ugh, <laughs> that I could leave that behind forever. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything else I genuinely enjoy. Yeah. I mean, because that's a big part of it. The, the, the organization and like the bin collection and the labeling and all that stuff is, that's why you need a really yeah. good assistant editor. That's why, that's yeah. why, that's why, that's why it's great to have a budget. <laughs> Because <laughs> you can, I love budgets. They you, are great. Yeah, because <laughs> there there are people out there that love to do that organization, and, and when you find someone that does, it's like, please stay with me forever, please, please. Is, I think I love you. Please, yeah. please stay with me. This is great. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Documentary world is so it's exciting. It's different. It's strange. Um, I love it and I hate it. Yeah, like to, to be completely honest, I think that I, I I came to a realization a few years ago when I was doing a lot of them that I'm like I think I like narrative more specifically because I think I was getting too connected to a lot of the subject material and um, oftentimes what you know especially when I was shooting for other directors oftentimes you the the pieces that draw people in or the pieces that sell are usually yeah. very sort of not just dramatic but also very intense and and you're meeting with some interesting characters that are dealing with some really horrible things in their life and and that sticks with you and it's almost like I hit a point where I'm like ah I don't know if I like all of the residue that's coming off of these projects and so I had to step away from doc stuff for a little while just cuz yeah. of that but um it's fascinating it's like I think you have to be I think you have to be really sort of bred for it, born into it. It sounds like, it sounds like you are, it sounds like you really love the stuff. I do. I mean, I hear that too. I, I think there are breaks that are necessary for sustainability in yeah. this career. Yeah. Cause it's, you carry a heavy load. It's not like you just leave that all behind. You, you're forever impacted by what you hear and you think about it and you, you know, maybe journal about it and then you have to edit it, you know, and it's you reliving it with them, uh, in a way. Mm -hmm. So I totally get that. And I've had a few of those experiences, uh, myself, um, which, you know, it's, it's heavy, but you know, you have to keep, I mean, personally, I just have to keep going because I don't know, I don't know what else I would do. You know, I feel like mm -hmm. it's, I'm thinking about it as it's just the one track and I'm going to stay on this track and there is no other option. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's the right way to think about it, but that's pushed me to keep going. So. Well, I don't think it's, the, I don't think it's the wrong way to think about it. I mean, it, there are things that, you know, we end up becoming compelled to do. And if you, 
you know, if you try to keep it from yourself, if you try to, you know, distract yourself from it, at least I have in the past with different things, you eventually are mad at yourself, <laughs> you know, eventually yeah. underneath it's sort of boiling there. And it's like, what are you doing, dude? Like, you're supposed to be shooting something. And you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I guess. All right. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the thing, the other thing I really, I think a lot of people don't think about with documentaries is that. With me, when I started to do them, I felt like you. I wanted to be as honest about things as possible. And just the very nature of, unless you're just setting up a camera and rolling a camera and then just playing that camera back for an audience, you're affecting, you're manipulating um, what you've seen and what those events are um, just through editing, you know? Yeah. And so there hits this point with me where I'm like, there has to be some sort of like morality line that I take here where, because you could take five shots of people doing anything. I mean, just watch the Kardashians. You know what I mean? You can take, you can create emotional context from people waiting for you to ask them questions like footage from heads and tails of clips. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there is sort of like this, you know, morality bit here where it's like, what am I doing and how am I affecting it and how am I manipulating these folks? And then this comes into play heavily. If you're doing, if you're trying to have a career as a documentarian where you're making money and you're selling stuff to, let's say streaming services or, or larger networks, because those people have a specific formula for drama, which requires oh, yeah. you to do things. So is this something that you think about and, and what are your rules that you've set for yourself? Yeah. I, I mean, this is, I think a huge conversation that's also happening now around integrity and journalistic integrity. And um, at the end of the day, we're telling people's most raw stories usually, and you have to stay true to that. I think for my own filmmaking practices, I try to not twist the story, you know, like it is what it is. And if, and if it doesn't have that big dramatic, formula, then, you know, it's not for streaming services, but maybe it's for educational Mm. aspects instead, like the, um, no man's land, the doc, the first doc I did, um, about the lesbian separatist community, it didn't have what Netflix wanted. We, you know, ended up talking to them and they were like, no, this doesn't have enough drama. Can you change these things? And we, we didn't want to, um, so we we just decided that wasn't the way we were going to go. And I think even if it sucks, you're like, oh, I wish, you know, it would be so great to be on a streaming platform. It would probably really boost my career. But at the end of the day, it's not really honest to yourself in the way you want to show up and make and create in the world. So I think sometimes you just got to take a hit and stick with what makes sense for yourself personally and what you're comfortable with and for myself it's it's not creating like reality tv because i think a lot of docs have almost turned into reality television um so (laughs) that i'm not trying to make the next keeping up with the kardashians i want (laughs) to make you know intimate heartfelt films that maybe don't follow a traditional like drama algorithm, but um, kind of bring something different to the conversation and change perception. So yeah, personally, integrity is everything. 
All right, it's time to do the ad reads for today's show. And before you go anywhere, before you fast forward, not many of you do, actually. I don't know why I threaten you. Not many of you actually fast forward to it. I've talked to so many of you, and you're like, dude, I love your ad reads. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Thanks. (laughs) Uh, But I want to introduce you, to you new listeners, I want to introduce you to the men and women that support the show. I want to talk about the sponsors. I want to talk about the gear I use. And uh, yeah, stick around. I'll give you some tricks, some techniques to get further in the uh, contest to have better chances to win that free camera from Fujifilm. Let's start with our good friends over at Puget Systems. If you're a documentary filmmaker and you know that you're going to be spending all the time in the world in the edit, um, and oftentimes you're going to be editing this, this film that you're doing, especially if it's a feature for years, why not buy a system that can be upgraded? Why not buy a system that simply will stay with you to the lifespan of your project with just some simple changes of hardware i don't know when we became obsessed with buying disposable hardware this is something that was sold to us and there are larger companies that make computers out there that uh after they do a couple of software updates all that hardware is rendered useless a timeline that you were working on yesterday suddenly won't load codex won't playback drives me nuts i want a tool that works for me consistently i want to get access to a timeline 10 years from now when i have to continue the edit of this doc right all that played a huge factor when i was buying new computers years ago and i decided to go back to pcs uh all the edit platforms all the uh, edit software that i'm using works both on pc and mac so why don't i just do a pc pcs that marketplace is a lot more competitive that marketplace allows for upgrades Uh, That marketplace allows for customization, and you don't feel like you're joining a cult, right? But you don't want to build your own PC. A lot of people out there don't know how to do it. It's kind of a pain in the ass. I did the hard work for you. I found this company, a family-owned company, um, a smaller company here on the West Coast uh, that builds amazing PCs. Puget Systems. Go to PugetSystems.com. There you can buy a brand new computer based upon the software you're going to use. So if you go there and you say, hey, I I'm, I'm really want a beefy Premiere machine, or I really want a beefy After Effects machine, or really just doing Photoshop work, uh, what can we do? These guys have benchmark test all the hardware out there. So they know whether or not it's worth you spending all that money on that new graphics card if it's going to do anything for you if you're just building a Premiere machine. Does it really matter? if you're putting that much RAM in it, because Premiere only uses a certain amount of RAM. These guys know all that stuff, right? They're very transparent. What I love about them, I've said it on other shows, when they send you a new machine, you get a folder with everything outlined and you get to see pictures and names of everybody that puts your system together. When's the last time you bought anything? Do you know who made your shoes? Do you know what they look like? Do you, can you follow them on Instagram? You know what I mean? It's crazy. I love these guys. I love how personally connected they are to their clients. I love how much Puget Systems gives a shit about artists. I love, they've been supporting me and sponsoring me for, Jesus, like seven years, at least at this point. PugetSystems.com, the place to go when you're gonna buy, build, have a new computer system. And if you're someone that is running a post-production facility and you want computers that all speak to each other, these guys are known. For, for putting together packages for post-production houses. Go to PugetSystems.com, get a consultation, talk to them. Do it now. 
Those of you who are doing docs, maybe you're doing mini docs. You're doing movies that are going to go to film festivals, right? One of the toughest things to find is music. Music that's released. Music that's licensed. It's one of those things that you never think about when you're putting together a budget. Maybe you got a small grant. Maybe you're funding your, your own short pieces by yourself. And then you're ready to submit them to film festivals. And those film festivals ask you, is all the music released? Right? And oftentimes you don't think about that. And you're like, fuck, I used that Kanye track. Why did I do that? I can't afford to pay Kanye to do that. Right? Go to Jambox. Go to jambox.io. Licensed music options that are, in my opinion, the best you will find online. For this price, they're amazing. Jambox works closely with artists. They put together special LPs um, and they pay the artists to create these albums or these track lists specific, specifically for certain genres. Go there right now, go to jambox.io and just search through the music, browse through it. Look at the fucking quality that you're going to get from this stuff. It's no strange, uh, it's no strange fact that Netflix is their client, that HBO is their client, that Disney, Activision, Blizzard, Apple, these guys all get music from these guys. You know what I mean? And you can too. Their prices are incredibly affordable. $9.99 a month for just a creator access. So if you're someone that is creating your movies for film festivals only, if you're doing stuff for social media, $9.99 a month, 30-day free trial. If you want something unlimited for commercial use, $19.99 a month. It's easy. For student work, for stuff that you're playing in film festivals as a student, six bucks a month. Gives you access to all this music. It's great. Go to jambox.io right now. Check it out. It's a huge tool for all you documentary filmmakers that are listening. It's going to change the way people process the emotion in your films. I'm telling you. Jambox.io. Obviously, today's show is sponsored by Fujifilm. Right? Can I make it any more obvious than it is? Uh, and here's the exciting news. We are giving away a Fujifilm X-H2S camera. Go to my Instagram account. I will have a pinned uh, post there that will explain the rules for how you enter the contest. I explained them at the beginning of today's episode, so I'm not going to read them again. But I'll say this. I've been using the, H, the H2S. I always have trouble saying its name. The XH. It's the XH. Those two, th those two letters next to each other are tough for me. XH2S. I've been using this camera for a while, though. I love it as a still camera. I've got a great selection of lenses. It's got removable lenses. So I've got these really small, very lightweight uh, lenses that are great for on the street, very sort of low prof profile shooting. And what's great is that you can just switch it into movie mode, right? And suddenly it's a cinema camera. So you're shooting footage through the same lenses that you're shooting your photographs. Very useful for branded content, by the way. Um, but you can get all sorts of really great cinema lenses. I also have this 50 millimeter 1.0, which is perfect for low light situations, but gorgeous shallow focus for close-ups and interviews. Gorgeous. This camera's perfect for documentary filmmaking. Shoots 4K, shoots variable speed rates. Um, it shoots Apple ProRes. 
which is an easy format to use on any edit software out there right now. Cannot say enough great things about Fujifilm. This is a great documentary camera. Okay? So definitely check them out. Check the links in the description of my episode. And here are some tips on how to get further with the contest. If you go to Fujifilm right now on their Instagram, I think it's Fujifilm underscore US, I think is what it is. The link is in the description of this episode. Go there right now on any of their posts, say, I want to win the free camera from in love with the process. Then tag me at Mike Petchy so it shows up on my feed so I know that you did it. Do that today. And that on top of you entering the contest, following the rules at the beginning of the episode, that will put you higher on my list. This contest is running all month. So the more times you do posts like that, do a post like that once a week. If your name keeps showing up, if I start to get annoyed by seeing your name, you're in a good place. You know what I'm saying? That'll help you win the camera. All right, so finally, also supporting the show, our friends over at IndiePro. IndiePro Tools is the place to go if you're looking for battery options, power needs for your pro cameras. A lot of these cameras that come out in the market have very small batteries. Some of these cameras require you to plug the camera in to charge the battery. It's kind of crazy. Uh, but these guys make really great V-mount, gold mount batteries that uh, you could put onto a battery adapter plate, which easily mounts on your rail system if you're using uh, whatever rail system you have underneath your camera or your DSLR. Um, and then now you can charge or now you can power your batteries with, with really great long-lasting bricks that are lightweight. Uh, if you go to IndieProTools.com, they are offering a special discount today for 20% off your entire first order. If you use the promo code LOVE20, that is IndieProTools.com, promo code LOVE20. And um, I may add another read. I'll just do it now, and I may adjust this later. But uh, as of today, we are now sponsored by our friends over at Boca. I'm just going to type in some stuff right now. Stand by, stand by. BocaRentals.com. I love these guys. Uh, they're one of the first rental places that I've really formed a solid relationship with out here in Los Angeles. Um, and I was completely drawn in by their Instagram account um, because they post beautiful lenses that they have and that they rent out. Um, and they show you what is shot with those lenses. Um, and they have such an insane selection of anamorphics. Uh, I've recently shot a piece with Gina that I, that I uh, shot, that I was a cinematographer on. And I rented the uh, Alexa Mini LF, the large format. And I rented these old Cook Primes from them. Um, and I loved the way they looked. Um, any rental house that has a wide selection of anamorphics is definitely my fave. Um, these guys have the best of the best. Uh, stick around because you're going to hear me 
getting uh, some of them on the show. We're definitely going to be talking in detail about this place. I know that they want to do giveaways, all sorts of stuff. I'm excited to have Boca Rentals uh, on our list of sponsors in our partnership list. Uh, and these guys are helping me make content. These are helping my fans make content. So uh, welcome, Boca Rentals, to the show. Uh, so yeah, that's it. Let's get back into it with Anna. I think a lot of people don't process how manipulative uh, filmmaking can be, especially especially when I watch doc series, because doc series are have become the rage on platforms, <laughs> on, on certain platforms out there. And I think uh, for two reasons. One, they're incredibly inexpensive for them to purchase. So it's not a big investment. Um, mm. And then two, uh, there, there seems to be some specific documentarian formulas that yeah. have been adopted and that are continued to just be replicated over and over again. And they've taken these formulas from um, amazing documentarians and amazing movies, but sort of picked mm. the most dramatic sort of like, I want to say the, the most cheeseburger aspect of it where it's, <laughs> you know, like uh, this is making me, I'm watching this piece about, you know, pieces of shit and it's making me sort of examine my own life. And I'm like, Oh, well, at least I'm not a piece of shit, but there's something entertaining about that. Or it's the serial <laughs> killer porn or it's oh something, you know? know. And, and so then, as a documentarian, it, you want to be someone that is like, hey, I'm experiencing the world. I'm experiencing this thing. And I had this emotional reaction to it. And I'd like to show mm -hmm. you what that emotional reaction is. And then you're being confronted with outlets that are saying, that emotional reaction is not what we need. We need you to fit into one of these specific molds. Um, because yeah. we know that a mindless audience will just absorb this and, and binge this, you know? Right, right. And I think that comes from, honestly, it comes from money being attached to documentary. For so long, documentary was not considered lucrative in any way. It was like, you're yeah. a little bit of a masochist to go into it because you're just going to be <laughs> pushing that boulder up a hill by yourself forever. Um, but you were doing it with the right intentions. And then I think sometimes when big money and commercialization gets involved, it also creates homogenization and yeah. one voice, one way to tell a story because that's what sells and that's what people get excited about. It's like, you know, a blockbuster film, that's what makes a ton of money, but it's not going to be you know, thought provoking. It's not going to make you really feel yeah. um, unless maybe you're on an airplane and then you cry at anything. But um, <laughs> <laughs> most of the time it's not going to do that. That's yeah, true. It's true. It's a, I think, and I bring it up because it's a tough thing for many, because there's a lot of young filmmakers that listen to the show and there's a lot of young documentarians that listen to the show. And uh, oftentimes the question is like, how are we going to make our money? How are we going to, how we, how, how do you have a career at this? And is this a world in which I'm like desperately grant writing every year and looking to get grants? Right. Or am I 
um, you know, self-financing these pieces with the intent of selling them. And, and we've sold two or three different documentaries to some major networks. And what, at the end of the day, when you see the price tag that they offer you, you're like, God, man, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) So so it's a tough, it's a tough career. It's a tough life to take. And, and, and it, it didn't surprise me at the beginning when you said that, like, you know, you'll do branded content or you'll do commercials uh, based upon the clients because so many of us have to turn that to that route to in order to stay uh, employed, in order to keep the, the windows open. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've had this conversation um, amongst my friends who are also filmmakers, but finding sustainability in this career is challenging. Um, It's very hard, but it's definitely doable. I think it's just, you know, not closing yourself off to something, you know, maybe a commercial that is kind of cheesy or lame, but at the end of the day, you're like, you know what, this is going to fund what I really care about. And that's why I'm here is to create and to make meaningful work and, if I have to sell cheeseburgers, all right, I will do that for one commercial. I haven't actually done that. That's an example. But um, <laughs> you can also find uh, commercials that maybe, you know, you also align with. So like my my friend and business partner, we do a lot of green tech commercials because I really want the planet to survive. And it's very cool to see, like you saw in the Harvard um, documentaries, cutting edge technology that's coming down the line in like five, 10 years and could have a major impact on the way we live our lives. So getting to do that sort of commercial work, ethically, I feel pretty good about it. And it also allows for, you know, a lot of space to create and play on the side. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize like, you know, Academy Award winning, one of the biggest documentarians out there and probably the guy that most of the Netflix docs are stealing from is Errol Morris. And he was the one of the biggest commercial directors. I think he still is, does massive commercials for like car companies and everything else. And that was how he financed all his stuff for quite some time was doing commercial work. So yeah. 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 It, it, it's kind of a balancing of both worlds. You know, if you don't have a trust fund waiting for you and mm-hmm. like, if you do, please go make tons of meaningful work and hire us. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and if you, <laughs> if you don't, and you're just trying to figure it out, there are lots of opportunities and, and ways to make it work and commercial film directing and, you know, cinematography, AC work, whatever it is, is not like the devil, you know, it's not a bad thing to do. It's, um, it's kind of part of the process in any job, you have something you don't like about it. You know, this is part of maybe the stuff you're not as excited about, but is necessary. Sure. Yeah. And I I mean, I spent my first I still do. I spent my time doing all those gigs when I was younger and, and ended up becoming a cinematographer for years as a, as a byproduct of it. And in each and every one of those situations, you're learning something new. 
like I may see another director do something that I'm like, ah, oh, that was smart. I may see another director mm-hmm. do something that's like, oh, that was stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're just, yeah. you're logging all these things or, you know, you are working with crew people that you have formed such a great bond with that when you go do your own project, you're like, hey, will you come help me out on this piece? And they're more than happy to jump with you because you've formed those intense intense bonds that you that you find on sets you know so i i I don't think there's any negative to that whatsoever especially if you're getting paid so if you're getting paid you're making rent and you're getting all that experience that's bonus all the way around you know i couldn't agree more i you know like not having gone to film school getting to learn on set was the most incredible thing you're just constantly picking up like what is the cinematographer doing what is the gaffer doing yeah. how is the director interacting with the you know the participant and and that's what's so helpful is just learning by doing and then when you can getting to make your own stuff because that's i mean you learn a lot you, yeah. you mess up you fuck up i don't know if i can swear but you fuck can fucking swear <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of that and and learning from your own mistakes and be like okay maybe don't do that yeah um and and then you just you figure it out there's a skill see i spending so many years working with documentarian directors there's a skill to the conversation and there's a skill to getting a great conversation getting people comfortable with conversation um, and, uh, you know, we talked about this earlier on the show, how I don't videotape this show. That's specifically from things that I've learned from document documentaries. Cause I know when I've done pre-interviews and I've sat down with the subject and we've gotten very close in a pre-interview, that is completely different than if you're trying to make it look great for television and suddenly there's a light blasting in their face. There's like two or three other people running around them and then they're mm-hmm. supposed to be sharing this intimate moment with you and you hear of all these other techniques like to go back to Errol Morris and I know a lot about his stuff because he was also in Boston at the time and I knew a lot of the crew guys mm. that were working on his stuff um, but he would come up with techniques of doing very strange interview setups where he'd have like a teleprompter that he was projecting his face onto so that way yeah. the subject would be constantly looking directly into the lens which uh, was behind a projection of his face on this thing. So he had all like these weird sort of technical ways of getting people to be immersed into it. And um, I don't know, like I've, I found that it's very difficult to <laughs> in- introduce all those other elements and still get that same feeling that you have if you and I just sort of sat down and had coffee intimately and I was like, tell me about your story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I've seen um, that tactic used a few times, you know, just in commercial and branded doc as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's definitely, it's definitely a technique. Personally, I like to pretend like we're sitting down and having coffee and I'll give people, you know, 15, 20 minutes to warm up. I always bake that into whenever I'm asking questions so they kind of like forget all of this extra stuff is around them and keeping the crew as small as you can, getting as many people out of the room as you can. Um, that all makes a really big difference. But personally, I like just, 
looking people in the eye and being like, you know, this is just us. It's just us here. Yeah. We're just having a conversation, ignore everything else. And, you know, we're just talking about life. We're just figuring it out together. And this is a journey we get to go on together. Um, and, and that's been great for me. Um, but I have seen the teleprompter used and I was like, Oh, that's interesting and different, but <laughs> right down the barrel of the lens, that's exactly where they're looking. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But that skill that you're talking about the, Hey, tell me your story. That requires a lot of like personal growth, right? Because at that point you, it's like, <laughs> it's funny. Me and my girlfriend went out, out uh, pumpkin picking yesterday and they had a petting, oh. they had a petting zoo. Right. And so mm-hmm. you climb, she climbs in uh, to this fence with these animals that are, you know, consistently getting pet all day, I'm sure. And mm-hmm. it's body language. And she's feeling a little awkward because there's this big llama and she's like, is this thing going to bite my face off? And so she's got sort of like this awkward walk stance that goes in there and all the animals feel it. They all feel that awkwardness and they're sort of, <laughs> they're sort of backing yeah. away from her. So she's chasing the little pot belly pig that's like, get out of here, lady, you know, because <laughs> she's projecting this like anxiety. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing with humans. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you feel like that you've had to find your confidence as a storyteller? And once you did, are your interviews better? Hmm. That's a great question. I also love the image of your <laughs> partner running around after a pot belly pig. Um, that's quite sweet. I, I do think, I do think there's just sort of this level of vulnerability you need to share and also sharing that, you know, this is their space and, you know, you're just here to listen and trying as much as you can to remove your ego from it. Yeah. And that's been really, really helpful for me. And I've also just happened to be lucky enough to kind of run in a lot of different circles and interact with people from all different parts of the world and get to know like a lot of different human experiences. So I think that's really informed just how I show up on set and how I, I want to, interact with who's ever sitting across from me telling their story. Mm. Um, I think it's just really being open and, and talking to them a lot off camera first. I think it's really trying to build a solid relationship of trust, of understanding, sharing parts of yourself with them before you even turn on the camera. I think that's honestly what's so key that maybe, you know, people aren't talking about or, don't do as much if you're just trying to rush into something and you know, you have deadlines, you got to make things happen. You have to make it work, especially in branded or commercial. Um, but I really think taking the time and carving out that time to build some sort of relationship, even if it's small before you even press record is essential. I agree. I agree. I really do. And is there, is there a moment, do you have an experience that you've had with somebody where you've done an interview and you felt like you did it wrong and you could have, and and then it, understanding that, what would you have done differently to, to, to do it right? 
What a shitty, what a shitty question, but (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I've fucked up a lot of times, (laughs) but, um, I guess, so the first film, um, you know, I was working with older women, um, who've been through a lot and, you know, one of them, I'm not going to say who was very difficult to deal with, very, Mm. very challenging. And there are certain points where I found myself, you know, getting so frustrated and I felt like that came through in sort of the questions I was asking. And so I wrote, I was getting back. It wasn't a great interview. We had to re-interview her later. Um, so I think, you know, just not letting your own personal issues with somebody get in the way, <laughs> which is really hard to do sometimes, yeah. you know, yeah. we all have feelings, we all have opinions and people can be, annoying or whatever it is. Um, but you just have to put that aside and it's just not about you, you know, it's just not about you. And so that's definitely a time when, you know, I, I called my mom. I was like, how do I deal with her? This is impossible. <laughs> and she's like, you chose to make this film. <laughs> this is sometimes how it goes. Um, and, you know, gave me some, some good advice after that, um, just in, in being in that community. Um, cause they're, they're very, you know, protective, which of sure. course they are. Sure. Um, it's why they succeeded from the rest of society. So it, um, definitely makes sense, but yeah, I think that was, that was an interview where I'm like, okay, I could have done that a lot better. Um, and <laughs> have showed up in a, in a different way that was less annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's tough because you get emotionally involved and you get emotionally invested, you know, yeah. um, yeah. you find yourself like I had a doc when we were doing that gang doc, we, we were following around a lot of these kids and mm. you just realize that these kids, <clears throat> they're doomed because they don't have a family structure. Their family structure is very difficult for them. And it usually yeah. it's a, a single parent that is working multiple jobs and, and these kids are don't have routine and don't have the ability to feel safe to a certain extent in their homes. And they turn to the streets and they're looking for uh, role models, right? And so they find role models in places that I don't think they would if their fathers were still around, you know? And so I remember we were doing this interview and we staged it where it was like, we were interviewing like nine kids and they were all sort of staged in the shot and they're all standing in the space and they ranged from like, uh, I won't remember specifically, but I think they ranged from like, I want to say like 10 years old, 13 years old up to uh, the leader of this group who was in his mid thirties. And so the leader of this group was an incredibly hardened, very mm-hmm. hardened individual who had been through it all, been to prison, come out of prison. And he was sort of running this group of kids. And these kids were curious still, especially the young kids, mm-hmm. like the 12 year olds yeah. that were just like, you know, what is life? What can my life be like? And and I would love to have my own business someday. And I would love to do these things. 
and it was very difficult and I broke protocol. It was very difficult for me to be there while they were saying things. And I, we would interview them and the kid would say like, you know, I've always wanted, uh, for instance, he would say something like, I always wanted to, you know, be a comic book artist. And as the interviewer, you're like, well, you can do that. <laughs> yeah. You, you can do that. You are only 12 years old. And, and then the, the older gentleman in the group was like, well, that'll never happen. You're never going to get it. You know, you got to rely on this and this is the system and this is what's going on. And I, I, I try to remember that as I do this podcast, because you don't want to be that old guy. That's like, you're never going to be able to do this because my experiences were this thing. And, mm-hmm. and I remember we sort of hit a point where I just took the kid aside and I said, don't listen to that guy. Like, yeah. like, there's so much more here. And you're like, now I've become part of the story. And this is that situation where now I'm injecting because I can't morally keep my mouth shut. And now I'm in there yeah. going like, look, I will teach you. I will show you things. I will show you that yeah. you can do this. Like, the opportunity is there for you. It's a different world than it was, you know, 15 years ago for that guy. You know? And it, it, that's when it becomes difficult to be a documentarian, I feel like. Because what are the rules, right? Are you involved? Are you going to become that documentarian that's like, hi, my name is Mike Petchy and this is my documentary and let me take you on this adventure. Like so many of those, <laughs> you know, yeah. celebrity document documentarians do or yeah. is your voice invisible and everybody is, you're making sure that your subjects are forming their response, their answer to a question as a response that you can use anywhere in the edit. You know what I mean? Right. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so hard to not get involved, um, especially in a situation like, like that. And that also kind of jogs, um, a memory of when we were doing, so a co-director and I, my friend, Gabriella Canal, um, doing the Alabama documentary, No Man's Land. Um, but we also had a second part. It was originally going to be a series, mm-hmm. um, so we filmed also in Colombia uh, at this place called Ciudad de, Ciudad de las Mujeres, which is the city of women. And it was this group of women who had come together after the Civil War and had bought the land, like built the houses, built the schools, created a whole board system, like had legal counsel, and they ran everything. Everything was in their names, which is extremely unusual for mm. for Colombia. So we we also were filming down there and one of our main participants was this young woman who was 15 was going to be the first person to go to college in her family was this really bright light in the community. Everyone was like, "Yes, Naya, she's going to make it." And you know, we found out later she ended up getting pregnant and not going to school. And, mm. um, you know, we we ended up supporting her for a little while to try to figure out if she could go to school. And you just, you kind of just become part of their lives, you know, and and you can't help it almost in a way. It, it feels, it would feel too detached to not yeah. help when you've already gone and spent so much time with them and learned about their lives and the, especially that one, the horrors of civil war and what happens to women. And, um, so you, 
Yeah, I, I totally get it. And I totally understand the like wrapping yourself up in the story, but trying to not get your voice in there, but it's Yeah, it's hard. It's very hard. You're forever part of it, you know. You're you're embedded into it, whether you like it or not. It's just <laughs> you know, you're not in the front saying, Hi, I'm you know, Anna Anderson taking you on this journey. Yeah. But um <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're, still, you're still in it. Yeah. Even even in the smallest way, but you I don't think there is a way to fully remove yourself. That's almost like a philosophical question, you know, like what is, what is the impact of putting yourself in the community and, and embedding and can you truly be objective? And I don't think you can really, but what is objectivity anyways? It's tough. That's tough. And then especially if you're, especially if you're calling it a documentary, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if you're if you're titling a documentary and the definition of a documentary, you're like, okay, so this is true. So <laughs> everything that I'm right. saying here is true and it's factual, right? That's what it is. And then, you know, what we were just talking about, that's why I have a beef with Vice a lot. Because it's like half oh. the time you're like, hey, I'm Joe Hipster and I'm standing on the line <laughs> here <laughs> in Israel and check this out. I'll put my foot over the line, you know, and you're just like, okay, buddy. <laughs> This is yeah. I don't know about the documentary, sir. Yeah, it's Joe not a, hipster. It's a, that's not a doc, bro. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. That's, that's not what I would classify as documentary. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But like, I do think even if you know you end up having a relationship with part of the people that are in the film, you know, it, you can still hold on to that integrity. Um, and there's you're just gonna have part of your soul in it, you know, and maybe that's also a good thing. Cause then you care, you genuinely care mm-hmm. about the people and about the story and you're going to build the story in a way that's thoughtful and caring to them um, without having to, you know, stand in front of the camera with a big fluffy mic and, and talk about, you know, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is. Um, yeah. So I, I think that type of documentary is different than, what is often classified as documentary. Yeah. 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 And it's also fascinating too, that cause I've done a bunch of docs on musicians. What I find interesting and I try to be upfront with folks ahead of time. And I say to them like, look, if you trust me, you have to trust me. Mm-hmm. You, you have to trust that I'm going to have your best interest in mind. And yes, We've spent this time. We've done all this pre-conversation. I I get who you are. I get what, you know, why you want to do this. Because that's another question, especially when you're doing, when you're doing docs for people that are involved. It's like, why does this person need a doc? Like, are you making a doc because you're selling concert tickets next next year? Okay, that's why you need a documentary. That's the purpose for you to have this doc, or do do you actually want to tell a story? And if you're upfront with this and you understand all that going into it, and then if you can still retain cut power and final cut power and make sure that you're, you know, doing so without making them nervous, um, in the back end of it, I think it doesn't matter who you are. When people actually see themselves on film and see themselves on camera and being honest, it's always a really, I want to say, violent sort of aggressive thing for folks because they – Oh, yeah are seeing themselves you don't look the same way on screen as you do when you look at yourself in the mirror you know no 
it's jarring. I think it's very jarring. Yeah, it's very difficult. And 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 I we, we've had trouble with it before. Like you have to, if you are doing docs, you have to be completely upfront about intentions. You have to be completely upfront about all of that. And if you have somebody that you're going to do a piece on that is shaky and their reasons for doing it are kind of weird and shaky, question whether or not you want to get involved with that piece. Because next thing you know, you've done two and a half years worth of work and you're in some crazy legal battle at the back end of it. You know? Yeah. You have to be careful. You have to be careful. I definitely have some horror stories um, around, you know, just things going wrong in documentary. But I think communication is really everything. Transparency, mm-hmm. explaining how it works because people don't know, you know, it's a really strange process and job. It's like, I'm going to be following you for a couple years. And at the end of that, we're going to put something together and, we have to have the final say on it. You know, we're going to make you look the best we can if that's, you know, depends on what kind of film you're making. But um, if it's not a sort of got you expose, you know, you have the people's intentions in your heart and you want to make them also look good. You want to make them complicated. You want to make them lovable. But I think it is, very hard to see yourself on film, especially when it's not all super positive, right? There are things you're grappling with. There are, you know, crises that arise and you have to deal with them. And it's weird to see yourself do that. And it's also weird to see how other people might see you. Um, and that, that perspective that's just totally outside of yourself. Yeah. I mean, I've had many conversations with subjects going like, no, you need to look this way. This vulnerability is what is going to teach the audience. Like this is, <laughs> this is what's getting your message across is being this vulnerable and not the fact that you didn't handle that situation the right way is the learning lesson. Like we shouldn't change any of that, you know, yeah. it's, yeah. it's tough. It can be very tough. It's a, and it, it's, it can be so incredibly rewarding. So I don't want to sound like I'm being negative on docs. I'm not, I'm just being honest about docs. Cause I, I don't think a lot of people talk about this. I think that, at the end of the day, it's a very stressful job. Um, it's a very time-consuming job, relentless job, but it can yeah. be incredibly fucking rewarding <laughs> um, as long as you're setting yourself up for success, I think. And if you're if you're coming at it from an honest place, which sounds like you are all the time, um, and if you're being honest with your subjects and you're being honest about your your intent of it. Yeah not only to them, but to yourself, your intent, then I think Mm -hmm. that it's an enjoyable experience, you know? Yeah. It's, it's an all consuming experience and you have to kind of be a hundred percent into it because it's, you know, it's a lot of work. Like I work all the time, like every day there's Mm -hmm. something going on. It's, you don't get to check out ever. There's no like, Oh, 5 PM. I'm done. Oh, Mm -hmm. great. Um, And you're taking calls, you know, from, from various people that you're working with, you're, you're emailing, you're getting the word out at whatever stage you're in, there's always like just more than one person can do. So you're constantly moving and going. Um, but I I do think being honest with why you want to do it and why you're telling the story, um, who, who are you to tell the story and, figuring out 
what your real intentions are and then sharing that with whoever you're working with and wanting to make a film about because it it's a tough thing to get a film made about you you know like mm-hmm. even one of my closest friends um the promise of spring doc that is the newest film you know when she first watched it when my friend violet first watched it her reaction was like, I need a little bit of time to process. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to throw up. Like she doesn't like it at all. I should become a cheap farmer. Like I should just go live in New Zealand and give it all up. Uh Um, but you know, the next day she called me and was like, I love it. Like you, you really told the story how it needed to be told. And, you know, we had had a lot of conversations leading up to it of exactly what the story was going to be about. The story was exactly that. But even with that communication at the front, it's still, she still needed time to let it sink in and to process just because it's, it's different and and new and strange. Um, Yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, if the people who are in your films like the film, that is the most rewarding feeling. And that, is what makes it all worth it. Yeah. It's magical at that point, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really really nice. It's really nice to like immortalize a moment. Like you were saying earlier on with photography, you know, you're just trying to take that moment and lock it away forever. You know, it's pretty cool. And just, yeah, it's so incredible to have the technology to do that and to be able to share you know, your thoughts, ideas, perspectives through such a visual medium and get people's stories down. You know, that's really what it's about is like archiving almost in a way, all of these different stories and perspectives and people living lives just totally differently from maybe how someone else around the world is and getting to share these like raw human experiences. And they're just things you won't ever get back. It's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's that same conversation of having like that immortality around art. Yeah. And I think as creatives, at least for me, um, just a way to feel like you made an impact or like have some sort of just small footprint on the planet of like, hey, I was here for a second. And getting to do that through art feels incredibly rewarding and it's just part of you gets to live on in these these creations and they're gonna outlast us which is what's so special it is it is it is you know i've enjoyed this conversation i'm happy that uh i've had you on the show today i'm happy that we met um (laughs) and it's a big you know big shout out to fujifilm for setting this up how did you what's your connection with those guys Oh, Fujifilm. Oh my God. I can't say enough good stuff about them. They're amazing. Um, (laughs) I got on, (laughs) like, I mean, I don't mean to give a brand plug, but they are really so supportive of filmmakers and image makers. So um, big shout out to them. They're the best. Um, But we got connected uh, when I was producing a different shoot for them and just was talking to one of the directors about a few ideas I had. And she was like, we have this upcoming camera launch, just send us some ideas. Um, these are all great. And I did. And 
then I had uh, tacos and tequila with um, Victor. The, of the course. Head of, of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like um, he goes on a campaign with uh, beers and tequila. <laughs> that's really what he's done. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's that's the way it should be. But um, we all got <laughs> dinner after the shoot, and he just had me pitch him on the spot, and it was so fun. I mean, a little terrifying, but very fun. And then he was like, "Done. You know, we'll we'll give you the budget. How much do you need? And let's make it happen." And just this like total trust and belief in people you know, coming up in the creative industry, it is so hard to find people who are going to support you like that. So yes, yes, 100%. I was completely blown away and filled with tacos and just really happy. It took me like <laughs> 40 minutes to even, they like walked me to the subway and I was like, bye. And then I couldn't even get on the subway. I had to go walk around because I felt like I was going to fly away. Um, so it was, it was really such a, I mean, it was really an incredible moment. So yeah, that was, that was the connection and that's how it all started. And um, yeah, I'm just really grateful for their belief, trust and support. Well, like I said, I'm happy to have met you because of them. I appreciate it. I really appreciate you sharing your stories with us on the show. And uh, I think uh, there's a lot of young folks that listen to the show that there's nuggets in there that you guys can learn from. There's definitely some nuggets in there. Um, and, uh, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Mike. This was a really great conversation. There it is. Today's episode is in the can. Um, I enjoyed that. It's been a while since I've talked about documentaries. I've been just doing a lot of narrative stuff for quite some time now. And uh, feeling uh, Anna's passion for filmmaking, feeling her her need to go off the grid, it's cool. It's nice. It's inspiring. It's really nice to know that about her as you look at her work, too. I can almost imagine her sort of like getting lost and disappearing to these places and meeting these folks interviewing these people and chasing around reindeer probably petting them (laughs) i hope you guys enjoyed today's show i did a lot and be sure to go check out all of anna's work uh listed below in the description of this episode Uh, make sure you support the sponsors that are listed below in the uh, description of this episode click on those links or uh make sure you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and uh, just uh, check out the page for today's episode. I'll put up trailers. I'll put up all sorts of stuff up there for you guys to see. All right. Um, lots more on the way. I'm just banging out these episodes uh, one after another, stacking up a queue for the holidays. And uh, yeah, you know the deal. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna delay this anymore. Let's play a track and let's get out of here. You know the deal. I'll be back next Tuesday with something new, and I try to be here most Thursdays with an update. Thanks for listening to the show. Tell your friends, hey man, why are you not listening to In Love With The Process? You know? See you next Tuesday.